Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. hear me okay? Great, great, great. Um, yeah, I miss you guys. It's been a week or so since I've been able to worship with you all and glad to be able to deliver this sermon this morning. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Psalm 61. Psalm 61. And as you're turning, last week, Bax introduced us to the Summer Psalm series that we'll be going over this summer. And I really like what he said about Psalm 60 last week. He said that when we feel defeated, God is inviting us to a fresh knowledge of his love and his sovereign plan for us. And so we'll get to know more of that theme as well in this passage, especially since David is still in need in this passage as well. Mary Lee Reed was born February 24th, 1931, to a very loving family, family that loved her, and more importantly, they loved Jesus Christ. Mary Lee Reed also grew up raising seven children by herself. Mary Lee Reed was my grandmother, and... Growing up, raising seven children on her own, she quickly developed this uh, skill of nurturing and caring for her children, so much so that if you were to meet Mary Reed, you would feel safe. Her children felt safe. Her grandchildren felt safe around her. So that's one of the things that I remember about my grandmother is that she was able to support very well. She was very nurturing and a very loving person. And a couple weeks ago, uh, she passed away. She was 91 years old, so she lived a very long life. And she's with Jesus now, thankfully. So I had the opportunity to go to the funeral, and I noticed two things being around my family. The first is that one of my uncles, uh, his grieving seemed to stand out to me. And this was my uncle, he was the youngest of the seven. And uh, for, for most of his adult life, I remember him doing as best as he could to get back on his feet, right? Um, as best as he could to remain sober, as best as he could to uh, have a steady job. And this lasted for decades. And all the while, my grandmother was there to support him in every way possible. So to see him grieve um, on the funeral day, it seemed as if his safety net was just swept from under him. The second thing I noticed was that my uncles uh, were bickering and fighting. And they did this when they were younger, but it seemed to resurface, especially as the funeral was approaching. 
See, back then when they were young boys, my grandmother and her no-nonsense attitude, when they, were, when they were fighting, when they were bickering, she would come in and, and shut it down really quick. She would have them reconcile and resolve whatever issue was on the table. But she was gone, and they didn't feel like they had their, you know, their mother's backing in that situation of conflict. And so they didn't feel safe enough to resolve or feel like they were supported because she wasn't there for them. And so these are some of the things that I noticed. Even in that bickering, trust was broken between my uncles. Accusations were thrown on both sides, and it was, it was pretty nasty, if I'm going to be honest. And so in those two things, I, I got to wondering, and I, and I have this question I want to ask you all. They didn't feel safe. Part of the reason was because my grandmother wasn't there. But what, what makes you feel safe? Is it someone who you can trust, someone that you can rely on? I think about my uncles, I think about myself and the people in my life that make me feel safe. Is it job security, where you're working? Is it literally being out of harm's way that makes you feel safe? Is it a specific presidential candidate that you want to elect and see in office? Are you looking at him and saying, okay, once he's there, I can breathe, I can breathe a lot easier, I can feel safe. All these things are not bad in and of themselves, right? And these things do make us feel safe, but there's something in common about all these scenarios. At the root of these scenarios, there's this issue of trust, right? Basically, when we feel safe, we feel that we can trust something or someone, especially when life gets rough, right? And we'll see that in this passage as David is crying out to God. And we'll see mainly that when there's hardship, we know that God is our refuge and his kingship endures through all generations. And those are my two points in the sermon. God is our refuge, and his kingship endures through all. And so let's stand and read Psalm 61 together. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So I will ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. You may be seated. Let's, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. Um, I ask you that in this sermon you would open our eyes and give us clarity to what David is crying out. 
and most of all, have your presence be felt. Be with us as your word goes forth to comfort us, to guide us, and to direct us um, back to you. May your presence be felt. In Jesus' name, amen. So this passage, Psalm 61, it's a lament. It's an outcry from David to God for help, especially. It's clear that David, especially when he's uh, writing Psalm 61, that he is in dire need. And Bax mentioned last week, um, it seems like David is at his wit's end when we're reading these passages. Especially when you look at the first two verses, hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer from the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint, when my heart is faint. And this makes sense when we're wondering what David might be facing at this time. I mean, he is king of Israel. He's the appointed king at this time. And he does have real enemies who are out to get him, right? Out to make sure that he's dead. Um, But when we're reading this passage, you and I might be reading that and be reading about his enemies, and we might think to ourselves, well, what about us? Who, who is our enemy? Just like Back said last week, our ultimate enemy is sin, right? It's sin. And so we look at the problem and solution, the mentality of sin would say, well, what's the problem? Sin points outward. It points to other people. It points to other systems, Other things that are happening to say that is the problem. He or she is the problem. And sin also points to us as the solution. We are the solution. If we could only fix this thing, that thing could be gone. This person could go away or whatever. That thing is the problem. And sin would say that we have the solution in and of ourselves. The gospel does not say that. The gospel is actually the opposite. What's the problem? Us, our sin, our sinful nature, our selfishness, our self-righteousness. What's the solution? Looking outward to Jesus, looking on the cross. And this is very important when we think about how David is praying about, you know, keeping him from, safe from his Enemies, And I don't want to discount this when I'm talking about uh, our sin and our enemy being sin. I don't want to discount the fact that there are people who have real um, people who are their enemies, right? And so going back to David, he is leading the nation of Israel, and he is crying out to God. And it seems like he is exhausted as well. And just like all humans, right, he is constantly being reminded of having his resources exhausted. Him being a finite creature, he is in need and crying out to God in the middle of his hardship, in the middle of his issues. And right in the middle of that mess, that storm, those issues, God is his refuge. God is our refuge. Refuge. Even looking at the language that David uses in Psalm 61, right? Looking at verses 3 and 4. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower, 
against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Now, some of us might be reading through this passage and say that David is coming to God as sort of like a last resort, but that's not true. That's not true. Looking at verse 2, he's saying, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. See, David knows that God is greater than he is. And so he's running to his father because he knows that when there is hardship, God is his foundation that can recenter David, right? And so God, re- God orients us. He reorients us. His word calms us. And so David knows as a result that God indeed is his refuge and his place of safety. The summer or the Sunday during um, September 11th, 2001, or the Sunday that followed September 11th, Reverend Derek Hawkins preached on God being our refuge and our strength. Now, his sermon was obviously in response to the horrendous event of the falling of the two towers in New York. And many people remember that day as a day of grief and pain, losing loved ones. Many people like myself were in complete shock seeing what was on television. And the United States was in a state of of collective grief and fear. And Reverend Hawkins, he remembers this, but he also remembers that God is our refuge. God is our safety. And he says this in a sermon. He says, I talked about the fact that the Bible doesn't talk about the absence of calamity, but God promises his presence in trying times. September 11th was not the first and sadly will not be the last time we will see inhuman acts, but we will always be able to depend on God's presence when tragedy strikes. The reality is that there will be difficult times, but God promises to be our refuge. When buildings crumble, and our world is shaken, God has not failed us. He has promised to be with us in the middle of tragedy. And we sometimes think that when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, that God has abandoned us. But this is not the case. And so similar to David, we ought to run to God in prayer and tell him how much we need him day after day. And the truth is, he delights in that. It reminds me of when the disciples were asking Jesus, well, how ought we to pray? And Jesus is telling them, you know, uh, introducing them ways to usher in their prayer. And he also tells them to imagine a friend who is in need of bread, and he's coming to your house in the middle of the night asking for bread. And I really like what Jesus says in Luke 11, verse 8. He says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And so how is David praying in Psalm 61? How is he praying? He's praying audaciously, audaciously. And what does audacious mean, right? It's a willingness to take a bold risk, a surprisingly bold risk. And so when we look at the gospel and look at ourselves, the true nature of ourselves, coming to God boldly is indeed audacious. 
We do not deserve the blessings and righteousness that we wear as his children, but we can come to Jesus boldly and audaciously because of Jesus. And we see that in how David is praying and how he's crying out to God. Hear my cry. Listen to my prayer. Lead me to the rock. Let me dwell in your tent forever. David is demanding that God be his refuge. He's demanding that. And knowing that God is higher and more infinitely powerful than than David is, he's boldly declaring that when he is truly in need, God can provide. And that's the beautiful thing about God's provision. It's not predicated on how much you're praying or who you're praying for. It's predicated on the fact that God is good and he loves us. So some of us, we might, we might have been conditioned to shy away from God, especially in times of need. We might think to ourselves, well, what I'm dealing with is way too big. It's too messy. My sin is, is pretty wild if you were to hear my story. The damage is already done. So what's the use? I mean, I'm, I'm already my worst enemy. So what's the use in going to God with my mess? Can I tell you that's exactly what shame sounds like? Like, that shame, it it keeps you quiet, it keeps you embarrassed, it keeps you paralyzed in fear. But there's good news, is that none of us deserve to come to God the way that we do. But we can go to him boldly because of Jesus' sacrifice. And the gospel gives us the audacity to come to him and be received as his children. So in addition to Christ being our place of refuge, where we run when we have hardship and facing trying times, he is also our king, and his kingship will endure forever. Now this part of the passage is extremely hopeful. And notice that David, he's not talking about his own kingship. It is true that he is the king of Israel, the appointed king of Israel, but he's not talking about his own kingship in verses 6 and 7 when, he, when we read, Prolong the life of the king, may his years endure to all generations, may he be enthroned forever before God, appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. And so how do we know that he's not talking about himself? He's talking about the king. Well, it's because the verbiage and the the language that he's using in verse 6 and 7 is the exact language that we see in 2 Samuel 7, uh, verses 12 and 16. These are the verses that Bax mentioned earlier, talking about the covenant promise of God. And I'll read these verses to you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish a kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a wad wielded by men, with flogging inflicted by human hands, but my love will never be taken away from him. As I look, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. 
Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And so what is David communicating here when he's taking and reminding God of the covenant promise that he established with David? What is he doing here? He's trusting in the promise of God, establishing his reign through David's offspring. Now at this time, David is basically... He's, he's being uh, clued in on the foreshadowing of Jesus. But you and I know that when we look at 2 Samuel 7 and even parts of uh, Psalm 61, David's offspring is Jesus. This is exactly who God is talking about in his covenant promise. Jesus is indeed our Messiah that came to reign as king forever, our king And this is one of God's promises that he established in 2 Samuel. But let's look at David and see what kind of promises he's establishing in Psalm 61. On the one hand, you have the covenant promise from God. And on the other hand, you have David sort of reminding God in his prayer and outcry that he's being obedient to God. And we look at verses 5 and 8, you see, For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. And in verse 8 says, So I will ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. We all know that David did not perform his vows perfectly. He intended to be obedient to God 24-7, seven days a week, But he couldn't fulfill his promises perfectly. But God can and does. He's doing that currently right now, fulfilling his promises through Jesus. By the way, anytime you're reading the word and you come across God establishing a covenant, he's making a promise that you and I can stand on as children of God. He's making that promise to you and I. Promises. (laughs) Growing up, my father was, uh, he was really a green thumb. He was a great gardener. And so I remember during the summers, he would uh, grow tomatoes, cucumbers. My favorite thing that he used to grow, watermelons. I used to love eating watermelons during the summer. And it was really fun to see watermelons grow. I mean, they started out as these little fuzzy vines on the ground, and then they were turn into little watermeloncitos, and so you used to hold them up and everything and be like, oh, this is really cool, this is happening, it's really happening. And uh, they used to have these like little offshoot leaves that would grow, and so in the mornings I would move the leaves away and see where the watermeloncitos were growing. It was really cool. It was really, really fun to see those growing. Um, and they took about two and a half to three months, and so to grow them in the summer, perfect time. I remember one morning, my father was tending to the garden, and there was a boy in our neighborhood walking towards our house, but he was walking through our neighbor's backyards towards us, and that seemed a bit strange because you usually don't walk through people's property to get to where you're going. You walk on the street, walk on the sidewalk, and I'm noticing him approaching us, and he's trying to be really conspicuous and discreet. You know, he's looking at my father in his garden, you know, it's just looking and being really curious about what my father's growing. Little boy doesn't talk to my father. He doesn't talk to me. 
He just looks at the garden and he just walks off, right? A couple days later, I do my regular routine. I go out to the garden to see where, you know, what's growing and all the watermelons are gone, vanished. I'm like, what, what happened? What, what's going on? <laughs> so, yeah, as, as you can imagine, uh, the little boy comes up to my father and he confesses that he stole the watermelons. He not only confessed that he stole the watermelons, he says, I promise I won't do it again. I promise. So my father says, okay, all right. So we go our separate ways. No, but I'm standing there. I'm just looking at the boy, just like looking, looking at him through the window, you know, until he's out of my sight. I'm angry. I'm fuming. Next couple days, go out to the garden. Now look, tomatoes, gone, vanished. Like, what is happening? I'm, I'm furious. I'm telling my dad to call the police, get cameras set up, set up a sting, get this little boy for everything he's got, you know? But my father, he just keeps tending to the garden. He just keeps tending to the garden. So why do I share that uh, illustration to you? It's, it's because in that situation, my trust was broken. I couldn't rely on the little boy's promise of him not doing it again, not stealing. But I should have been paying attention to what my father was doing the entire time, tending to the garden. And we eventually enjoyed everything that he grew that summer. And so I had to trust in what my father was doing and him being steadfast in that. And that's, that's a big ask from what God is asking us to do, is to trust him in his kingship, right? He wants us to live in such a way that we know that he is not only in control of what is happening now, but he has been in control ever since creation, and he will forever be reigning as king. He wants us to live knowing that. But for some of us, trusting in him is a big ask. Right? When we think about trust, we might be triggered and thinking, I've been, I've been disappointed way too many times than I can count. I've been lied to. I've been rejected. I've been sinned against. And so you're asking me to trust God? I, I got a better idea. How about I take things how about I take matters into my own hands? How about I take the wheel? I want to be king of my life. I want to be queen of my life. And so we, we do it. We, we assume kingship over our lives. So, uh, you know, to be a sort of a, a coping mechanism. Right? And in doing so, some of us might ask the question, can I really trust God? That question is one of the most honest and vulnerable questions you could ask, partially because underneath that question, you're addressing the fact that there is hardship in life. People don't ask that question when everything is going good. So that's a very honest question that you can ask. 
The short answer to that question is absolutely, you can trust God. Because we're not created to be kings and queens of our lives. We are created to be led by the one and true king, Jesus Christ. And so the gospel message, when we look at it, it says that the world is indeed broken. And so are we. There are things that do not function the way that they ought to. And we see that when we look at the news, we feel pain in our bodies, when we experience death. But thankfully, the gospel story does not stop there. The gospel also says that there is a savior, a king, that will make things safe, a savior that will restore what is broken. He is the one that we need to run to when the storms of life are raging and it feels like there is no stability and no security where we are. He's there and he will always be there to reign and rule in our lives. He is our rock and so we can run to him with boldness and audacity, praying and knowing that he delights in having his children come to him in complete and utter dependence. And so let's do that now. Let's pray to our God, our ruler and king, knowing that we are safe in his presence. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we want to thank you so much for uh, giving us your word And just like David, we recognize that there is truly hardship in our lives, hardships that shake our foundation, hardship that reminds us that we can't control everything in our lives, no matter how much we would want to, hardship that makes us want to take the wheel and and be in control ourselves. But Lord, thank you so much for providing a safe place a rock, a tent, a refuge through Jesus Christ, your son that you gave for us. So thank you that we are able, as a result of Jesus dying for us, we're able to come to you boldly and audaciously to, to ask for that safety. You give it so freely because you love us. So thank you for loving us. Thank you for keeping us safe. And thank you ultimately that... Your reign will last forever. Um, And so we worship you as king. We love you as our king. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org.